We're going on with our, um, our series, guys, that we just started last week, and it seems really appropriate today on, on Mother's Day. Um, but, but last week we started this series, we were just calling Conversations About. And, uh, and the basic thinking behind this is that there are lots of things that we just don't talk about very often in the life of the church, that we just don't talk about as we get together with other believers especially, or even in just kind of, you know, mixed company. We, we just don't talk about these things. And maybe it's easier, as I said last week, it's easier not to talk about some of these things. It, it, we don't ruffle any feathers, you know, we just kind of keep the status quo and, and nobody gets offended or anything like this. But the problem is if we don't talk about some of these things, then we leave each other to our, our own, again, best devices in order to figure our way through these kind of minefields, really, that our culture throws at us. And so we began to say last week that, that we, need to, we need to begin and continue to practice this spiritual discipline that John Wesley spoke of, uh, the spiritual discipline simply of, of Christian conferencing, as he called it, or of having holy conversations, uh, as, as others have called it and we are wanting to call it now. So this whole idea about conversations about, I don't know if you have that slide there anywhere, Lauda, just the, just the, uh, the first the one that says conversations about. Do you have that one anywhere? No? Not really? Down at the bottom, maybe? No? There it is. I just, you know, Jake worked nice and long on that, and it looks pretty and helps us think about it, so I'll be able to look at it. So, so but there's two parts to this that are, that are significant. We, we not only want to discuss the content that we, <clears throat> you know, that these conversations are about. Not only do we want to, to, to be mindful of the, the, the subject matter and discuss it thoroughly and, and try to give some handles and some direction and some guidance and some, some you know, some prescription, at least, for, for how we can move forward as followers of Jesus in terms of some of these areas. But we also want to model and think about the way in which we talk. So it's not only what we're talking about, but it's the tone, right? And the, and the manner in which we converse and talk together as well. Because we believe that, that there can be such a thing as holy conversation. That, that it's not just, you know, conversation where it's going to be what I got to say and what you got to say. But as followers of Jesus, we can... We can, we can all kind of subject ourselves and submit ourselves to the Lord's leadership as we seek some wisdom in these, in these areas. A guy named Thomas Cramner a long time ago in, in England, he, he stood up among the British Parliament and he said these words. He said, I, I beseech ye brethren, in good uh, old English, I beseech ye brethren by the bowels of Christ. I always lose people at that point. But by the, by the very depths of Christ... Admit ye may be wrong. And I've, I, the moment I read that quote, I just like sunk it into the depths of my being because there are so many times where I just know I'm right. I just know I'm right. And yet, I need to remember um, at the very depth of my being that it's just possible that I could hear something from you that could help me to get some further clarification, that could maybe point me in some new directions. And I could do the same for you, and, and ultimately our point could, and our, and our purpose could be not necessarily to be right, but to be like Christ. Not to be correct, but to be godly. 
and that that would be our pursuit. And so that is the, the purpose for this, this whole, uh, these few weeks together. And last week we talked about faith and politics. That was lots of fun. I want to, again, appreciate those who helped me with that conversation. But this week, another subject, faith and the family. And maybe it doesn't <clears throat> seem up front as controversial or as conflicting and, and really, as we think about the family, maybe we're like, oh, no, we, you know, we talk about that. We have parenting classes, or we have marriage groups, you know, from time to time. And we give some instruction on, on, on marriage and, on, again, on parenting, on, on these family situations. But if you really back away from it, as I did think about this, this topic, I realized that, that the truth is it's, it's a subject that we kind of tiptoe around quite a bit, Right? I remember when I was in, a couple, couple of incidents just from my own life, I, when I was in college, my friends and I, we were at this, well, we were at a donut shop, and it was really, it was, it was, it was just in the morning, it wasn't a particular strange time of the day, but, but in came this couple in the midst of this obvious domestic dispute, and we were the only ones in there, and they were just arguing so much, and it soon it began to get physical in this donut shop, to the point where the guy started chasing the girl, she ran into the kitchen and out the back, and we were just kind of, you know, befuddled. And, and, and I decided, I mean, it was, it was kind of crazy, but I kind of started talking to the guy. And he was just out off his rocker, you know. And my friends were like, James, don't interfere. You're going to get hurt. I tried to talk. He ran away. But, but don't interfere, right? A few months ago at my own house, in my own neighborhood, I noticed uh, another young couple nearby my house, uh, wasn't, wasn't Rick and Debbie, there they are, it, but it was a, another couple near my house, just, just going at it, arguing on the front lawn, and, and I, I kind of pulled into my driveway, you know, and into my, my uh, garage, and got out of my car, and I heard them, and I was thinking, going on over there? It's like maybe 11 o'clock in the morning, and I'm kind of walking back into my house, and I, I'm thinking, i got to say something. So I just kind of walked out and peeked at them, you know, and they kind of looked over at me. They, I mean, they were like going at it. I thought this girl was going to just rip this guy's head off. I mean, it was, it was there, and he was trying to take it, but it was getting ugly. And, and I just said, Everybody okay? Everybody all right there? And they just, oh yeah, we're fine. We're fine. No problem. And then I threw this one. Well, I'm a pastor. If you need any, I do this all the time. If you need any, any help, then I'm, I'm available. And they said, thank you very much. I went in, and the yelling commenced once again. Uh... The, the reality is that I do this all the time, but I probably don't do this enough, and we don't do this enough, because we're afraid, it seems like, when it comes to the family, these words that we've heard, don't interfere, don't, don't meddle with the way that they're doing things, they've, they've got their way of relating to each other, that's, you know, maybe that's just how they do it, or, you know, who, who am I to tell you how to parent, you know, we, don't tell me how to parent, <laughs> You know, we just kind of tiptoe around because maybe we've, we've been raised with these family traditions or we've developed these ideas or our culture or society has kind of taught these things to us. For one reason or another, we've just kind of 
We've gotten settled on this is how you do family. This is how you do marriage. This is how you do parenting. This is how you do interrelationships with your adult children, with your, with your aging parents. This is the way we do it. And if somebody tells us or meddles in our business the way we do our family, then we instantly get defensive. Don't we? And, and this, is a, uh, this is a problem. Because you see where this is getting us. Do you see where leaving ourselves to our own devices in terms of our ways of doing family is getting us? Just look around, and it's not really the statistics and the surveys, again, show us from time to time that it's not so different inside the church as it is outside the church. We're besieged by divorce, we're besieged by abuse, and we're besieged by absenteeism in parents, and we're besieged by um, disrespect among children and uh, you name the issue. <laughs> and it is just on the rise more and more within the life of the church and within the life of the family. And uh, uh, just a whole host of other issues. And so I just kind of, you know, again, this is, a, this is important for us to have some holy conversation about. And, and I hope that this time this morning can not only help us get some handles get some ideas, but it can also prompt some further discussion. It can prompt some further conversation among you and your family and among you with others as you think about the ways that you're relating and interacting within your family. So why can we talk about this? Um, why, do we need to, you know, why do we need to give some, some handles? Um, again, I think this is relating to us whether we're married or single, with or without kids. We're all part of a family at some level. And we need to know what our response is supposed to be. Well, uh, a, few, a few just kind of quick ideas for us this morning. Um, if anyone is going to talk to us about the family, then it ought to be folks who are from the family of faith and who are, who are just believing and trusting in, in this Heavenly Father who gives us guidance. For, for one, it's just simply this, this very idea that God is, is, the, is the one who came up with the idea of the family in the first place. Without God, there is no family. So if you want to know how to work something, then go back to its source, right? Go back to the one who created it in the first place. If you want to get instructions or directions on how something is supposed to work, then go back to the, the creator of it. And in this case, if we want to know how the family is supposed to work, let's go back to God. In the book of Genesis, we got some different, uh, different revelations or different insights into how this family came about. But one of them is in chapter 2. Uh, of Genesis, I think I have this, just verses 18 through 22, says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Some of you maybe don't remember what went on next. You think maybe he just made the helper. But look, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. It was like he was kind of like, bring him, name him, eh, not quite it. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Family is God's idea to begin with. The second thing that made me think that we have some credibility to speak on the family as the, the family of faith is just this simple idea that, 
that when God chose to speak into the world in, in a way that would forever transform it, when he chose to speak into the world in the person of Jesus, he sent Jesus into a family. Now, this is, this is striking to me. I don't know if it will be to you. But usually when someone's going write to a, write a book, when somebody's going to write something or have a talk or something like that that they're hoping people will listen to and, and pay attention to, they usually like to start out with a bang, right? They usually like to start out with something that will grab your attention, that will really set the tone for, for what that person wants to share, what they want to write or what they want to, to share. Now, in, in the very first book of the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, does anybody remember how that book starts out? Anybody remember how the very first gospel account, the life of Jesus, starts out? With a genealogy. Now that, my friends, to me, is not the way that I would have started these things out. This is not the way that I would have said, let's grab their attention. Matthew, you know, God's inspiring Matthew to write these words and record the gospel. Let's start with a genealogy. But here it is, Matthew 1.1, just this simple verse, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and so on and so forth. That whole in-between, Jesus, all the way back, the, the genealogy is recorded. It just, it says something to me about not only God's um, creation of the family, but God's value of the family, that when he sent his only son, he chose to do so in the context of a family. God cares deeply about the family. And the last one that I just want to share along this line, why we can even talk about it, is that the family is to be the primary context for our spiritual formation. We need to talk about this because the family, many of us think the church is to be the primary place for our spiritual formation. In fact, you know, maybe we were kind of shipped off as kids, or maybe we do that now, or, or we just kind of come here and expect that this is where it's going to happen. And that's, you know, good to a point, but the, but the earliest ideas of God were that the family would be the place where our spiritual formation would, would happen. This great passage from Deuteronomy, love this verse, a great reminder to me and hopefully to all of us. Hear, O Israel, <clears throat> the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. We, we recently went to some friend's house and they had a big uh, fountain pond kind of deal in their house and at their house and in it they had probably a million polywogs maybe not tadpoles i guess is the probably not a million but it seemed like a whole lot and so my kids said we got to take some tadpoles and my wife said we got to take some tadpoles and i said we got to take some tadpoles and so we did but no way if you've been over to our house in the last few weeks we had these tadpoles and and we had them in this i've been told aquarium that was all water, but just yesterday we moved them into a terrarium, which includes some rocks so that they can climb up on them because they're starting to grow some little legs on them. This is the 
This is the context. This is the, the place. This is the environment. This is the climate in which these little tadpoles are going to turn into frogs. And I'm going to start hearing ribbits in the middle of the night in my house. But, but this is the place where they're growing. And this is what God envisions for the family to be for us. Whether we're young children or whether we're growing in our faith and older, this is the place where we're to be nurtured, where we'll be thinking, where we'll be impressing upon ourselves. And so it's so vital and so crucial that we talk about this today. Well, one more passage of Scripture that I want to just play out of a little bit this morning, and then um, we're going to, uh, to do some other things here. But, but one more passage that as I looked at the New Testament especially and, and, and looked for some particular instruction or direction about who we're to be as a family, this, this little portion of Scripture, this, these sh- four short verses, five short verses, uh, really, I think, gives some great instructions, some handles and some of us are like, well, what do I hold on to? How do I, in this world that's so slippery when it comes to the family, what are some things that I can hold on to? And I, I'm, I'm just going to be upfront and honest with you right now. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to give you anything that is maybe uh, too, too creative <laughs> or, or like is maybe going to blow your doors off when it comes to this. Uh, in, in fact, it might just, you might be kind of like, oh yeah, right. Uh, but it bears repeating, because too often we get off target on this stuff. So listen to this passage of Scripture. In fact, stand with me, would you? And let's actually read it together. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. Let's read it together, can we? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Just three quick ideas uh, that we need to hold on to, guys that we need to hold on to as we think about what it means to be the family. A couple of observations about what we can say is a Christian approach to the family. The first one is this. I'm not going to put these up on the screen, but if you have a pen and your bulletin, you might just write these down. Just three simple things. I'm not going to even say a whole lot about them, but, but just reinforce them for you today. The first idea is just simply this, that Jesus Christ is to be the Lord of the family. I'll, again, I'll be honest, I started going all like analytical on this and got off on all kinds of other ideas and thought, hold on, bring it on back home here. And it's simply this, Jesus Christ is to be the Lord of the family. If you want to write that in shorthand, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. It begins there in verse 17, if you still have your Bible open, and it continues throughout Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Do it to bring glory to the Lord. And then he fleshes it out. And so as you live out your relationships, as you're living out your interaction with people in your family, especially, you are doing it because Jesus is the Lord. That is the motivation for us. For anything that we might say about particular interrelational ideas and actions, the motivation is because Jesus is the Lord. Anything that he went on to say, and we'll talk about in just a minute, any, any specific indirect instructions or directions that he gave 
was specifically for the, motiv the motivation behind it all was because Jesus is the Lord. We're to act in ways that are fitting, pleasing, glorifying to the Lord. The whole of life, both thought and conduct, is to be submitted to Jesus Christ. Nothing, no area, if you're a follower of Jesus, no area of your life is outside the realm of his lordship. No area is outside the realm of his lordship and his authority. And so that includes our family. And so we, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, have, the first thing we have to simply say is that you, Jesus, are the Lord. It isn't just the spiritual things of life that he's after, so-called, but the everyday matters. How we interact as families, how we live together as families. Jesus is to be the Lord. The second truth is simply this. Families are to operate on the basis of mutual love and respect. Families are to operate on the basis of mutual love and respect. That's what this passage teaches us. There's this mutuality and there's, there's this interaction. It's like this big circle, really, of, 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 of interaction and love that is experienced and, and respect that's being experienced between the wives and the husbands and the children and the parents. It only makes sense that if Jesus is the Lord of the family, that we then, in the way we live out our relationships, should model the way he lived in this world. This Jesus who came to serve and to submit himself and to humble himself and to ultimately give himself in death, even death on a cross. This Jesus who became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the Jesus who, if he's the Lord of our families, then, then he's the one to whom we look to as an example for the way we should interact together. And so that means that we too, as we interact, will be thinking of ways in which we can be submissive, in which we can be humble, in which we can be kind, in which we can be obedient, in which we can be sacrificial. These are not new concepts. These are concepts that Jesus himself modeled and calls us in fact, if Jesus is the Lord, if we say that, then we shouldn't find any of those instructions strange. And so he talks to wives about submitting. It's, 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 it's not a, a losing sight of yourself in any way, but, but, a, but a way of coming alongside husbands, a way of, of bringing ourselves, um, bring, of wives bringing themselves into this, this way of, 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 of coming alongside their husbands in a way that is pleasing and fitting to the Lord, he says. Husbands at the same time are to show this unceasing care and concern for their wives that, that doesn't waver, that, that doesn't uh, bring about any harshness or bitterness in them, only love and care. Again, for children, he says, not just toddlers and adolescents, but adult children as well. And this is where maybe it gets a little personal as we think about ourselves. We're to obey our parents in all things, not just because they're right and perfect, because they're not but because he says it's pleasing to the Lord. This Jesus who cried out to his own heavenly Father before he died, not my will, but your will be done, who demonstrated the very depths of obedience, is inviting kids to be obedient to parents, and at the same time inviting parents, and especially fathers. If you're a dad, this is the most convicting passage perhaps in all of Scripture, if you look at that. Not to irritate or provoke their children. Don't let them be discouraged. Is there anybody, is there any dad here would say, I want to discourage my children? No. It's the last thing we would ever want. It's the last thing we would ever say. 
And yet how often, perhaps, as fathers, do we do just that by the ways we provoke our, our kids? Well, the last one is this. So, so Jesus is the Lord, and, and, and then this simple other idea of operating on a basis of mutual love and respect. This last idea is just this, and I think it really ties into what we saw up here with our, the ducklings. Just this idea that, that our families are the front lines of faith. Families are the front lines of faith. This is where it, this is where it gets lived out. This is where, um, in the context of our family relationships, that the expression of our faith is to be lived out. And if, if our faith isn't lived out in our families, first and foremost, then really we'd have to say it's hollow, that it's, that it's, that it's empty, that there's not really any substance to it. And so um, this is the primary context where we're learning and growing. It's the place where the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are being lived out and acted out. It's the place where we're practicing compassion and kindness and hospitality. It's like dress rehearsal, but even more. It's, it's, it's the starting place. And, and for anything, if we hope to you know, live it out here and in the world, then it has to start there. And if it's not, then we've we, we got to go back and revisit kind of where we are. So how are you at home is, I guess, the question you know, that we have to ask ourselves. Are we unloving at home? Are we impatient? Are we harsh? in any way, then, then that's the place that it has to start and then flow out from there. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Mutual love and respect. The front lines of faith. Jake's going to come and sing a song, and I'm going to invite my wife to come up here, and we're going to talk a little bit about how, uh, how we see this playing out in our lives. The Joneses, Rothschild, Evelyn, Reuben, and Sue. Just for discussion, through random selection, we've chosen two couples who haven't a clue.
was proud of young Rothschild. He worked for late hours to be number one. But just newlyweds, well, their marriage got rocky. He's flying to Dallas, she's having a son. But Reuben was holding a Gideon's Bible, and he screamed, It's a boy, so let everyone heard. And the guys at the factory, they took a collection. Again, God provided for bills he incurred. of Christ Jesus or a sandy foundation you manage to lay well needless to say Evelyn left a husband they struggled to pick up the pieces they had and I truly wish that those two will find Jesus before things get worse and they all much. Uh, great song. Great truth once again. I turn this on, Rick. All right. Well, um, when I started thinking about folks that I could have a conversation with for just a few moments about family, um, I just, you know, thought about my own family. And uh, a couple other folks that I thought about as well that couldn't be here today, but I just kind of took that as a, as a great sign from God that, that we just needed to hear maybe a little bit from Kyla and... Uh, and myself about this, just personally. And so this is my wife, Kyla, for those of you who don't know. Those of you who do know her are applauding her. That's interesting. Um, thank you for that. And for those of you who don't know her, people are applauding her. That ought to tell you something, I guess. Um, we, we've had both interesting family life uh, growing up, uh, at least interesting in how much it was different. Uh, I, my mom's here today, and I grew up in a Christian home. My uh, dad was a pastor. 
is retired now, but as you know, many of you know him, still continues to be a pastor. In fact, he's on staff at San Diego First Church on the campus of Point Loma. That's why he's not here today. Even on Mother's Day, it feels like he had to, yeah, he'd been gone a few Sundays, so he had to be there. But I was raised in his home, and a great home. Uh, we had 2.3 kids in our place. I won't tell you between my sister and I who had the point three, but uh, we had a dog for a little while, but not too long. But we, we just went to church. We uh, just pretty, pretty normal. My folks were pretty much always there for me and uh, taught me about Jesus and uh, were uh, always together and continue to be so. And this has kind of been the uh, the context out of which I have emerged. And then I met this gal in college and found out that not everybody was like that. So, kind of just give a little background on your family upbringing. I was raised by my parents, my mom and my dad, and have one sister, so we got that right. Um, but very early as my parents got married, they decided church was not for them. They, raised, they were raised in the church, and so we never darkened a church door except for the postmaster lady in our little rural town of Minnesota. Her name was Dorothy Katzenmeyer, and she would take me to church every Sunday, and she took me to VBS. And then my grandmother, my mom's mom, was very solid in her faith, and whenever we were around her, we got to go to church with her, and we thought that was a great treat. Um, my parents tried to make their marriage work for about 13 years and decided this is over, this is done with. And so when I was 10 and my sister was 7, um, my parents divorced, and that was pretty rocky, and my dad just left the picture. Um, I think my mom said, I don't need you, and so he did that. I don't need you. He left the picture and wasn't around. Um, so we continued to struggle, my mom raising the two of us girls. Um, through, through some long, earnest prayers, my mom turned her life around and went back to her roots and reclaimed her relationship with the, war, with the Lord. And the next Sunday, we darkened the, we darkened the doors then of the church, and we were there every time, um, which then led to Point Loma, where we met. Um, my mom passed away when I was in college. It's been 20 years since she's been gone. Um, and my dad is still gone. Um, he was around three years ago and met the kids for the first time. But he said, I'll be back next month, and that was three years ago. So we each come out of, I guess what I want to say out of that is we each, we all carry a lot with us from our family of origin. Maybe you've heard that phrase. And, and it, it does shape a lot of who we are, just where we've been and who we, who we uh, are becoming. And so I wanted just to talk for a little bit about just the ways that our family life has impacted and shaped um, the way that we think about family today. So do you want to jump in on that at all, Kyle? What? Just your experiences of growing up, how has it shaped, maybe for good and maybe yeah. bad? Um, one of the things is my family, the, the community that I grew up in was very intergenerational. Um, from having Dorothy Katzenmeyer, this little old post lady who cared for us, um, to when my parents divorced, my grandmother um, would come and live with us through the dark winters of Minnesota. She would pack the deep freeze for my grandfather, and she would come to our house from January to March. And then as, school, as soon as school was out, my mom would put us on the plane 
this back in the day, and she would put us on the plane in Arizona, and we would fly to Minnesota on the day after school was out, and we'd come back the day before school started, and we were with my grandmother again for those three months. So six months out of the year, I was with my grandmother, and she poured into me. Um, but then once we were in the church, my mom realized that there was not an intact family around. So we had uncles and aunts and dads and grandmas and grandpas all around the church. And that's one of the things that I continue to do with my kids today. They've got grandmas and grandpas in this church and aunts and uncles. Um, you know, before, before I was working in the church office, I would lead the Tuesday morning Bible study, and it was Bible study with the grandmas. And so the kids would come along, they'd see everyone, and then they'd go off with James. But very intergenerational. One of the things that I remember just was that Jesus was at the center of my family. It really was in, uh, <clears throat> in kind of spiritual matters as well. But also, um, we had a picture of Jesus hanging right by our front door. And so he literally was right in the middle of our family. And I remember it, it was the I didn't I was gonna bring it, but it's the it's the probably the one many of you have seen, uh, the traditional picture of Jesus. And I just remember it was hanging right there, a big old portrait. And whenever my friends in junior high and high school, especially, would come over, they'd open the door and they'd be like, "Whoa, whoa, okay, I'm with you." But this is that was just kind of an outward sign of a of an inward reality, really, that that Jesus was at the center of my. My family, and I think this has been another thing that's just shaped me. That, uh, as I spoke just a minute ago, Jesus is Lord. I just really, um, uh, I forget that from time to time, without a doubt. But uh, I always try to keep coming back to that fact that that I'm not in charge, that uh, Kyla's not in charge, and when we have trouble, or when we have conflict, or when our kids aren't quite doing what we want them to do, or whatever the case may be, or believe it or not, you know, if my sister and I even have a conflict, or my parents are telling me things I don't want to hear, uh, to come back and be able to say that, that Jesus is, is at the center of it all is significant for me. Another thing that I, as we were brainstorming, I thought growing up in my family, though it was aw you know, in some ways awful, it was lots of fun. We always had fun together. We played, James got initiated into this very shortly, we played family games like crazy. I mean, we'd sit at the dinner table and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And James was like, are we going to be done anytime soon? But then the Skippo game would come out or the Uno game would come out. And we'd sit there till midnight playing. I mean, I got called Dirty Dog by my grandmother how many times because I'd draw four on her. And so um, we definitely carried that forward with our kids. I mean, yesterday, Mom, will you play Wii with me? You know what? I'm not really good at playing Wii. But because Thomas asked, Yep, I'm going to put down my stuff. You know what? That can wait till later. He, at some point, he's going to want to do something else. And so let's play we. Katie's like, can I do a puzzle? I'm like, sure, we can do a puzzle. Um, so just encouraging the kids over that relationship time through um, games. And I think, yeah, I think the other thing that I saw that I wanted to mention in my own life was that family was a priority. And not just like, you know, the family. You know, we're going to be there for you. But but we valued the relationships above other issues in the family. And I've just watched, and you have too, maybe you've experienced this, where little things can come in between family members, and before you know it, that little thing has become a huge thing. Maybe some of you are actually in that kind of a context right now with some of your family members, where maybe it wasn't a little thing, maybe it was a pretty significant thing. 
Um, but it's just kind of driven that wedge, and it's gotten farther and farther apart. And I, I just kind of witnessed from my own parents and, and in our family that, that those kinds of things, whatever they might be, weren't going to drive us apart. And right now, we, we all, my parents own a cabin in Idaho, but uh, upon their demise, as my dad likes to say, <laughs> you know, that becomes ours and mine and my sister's and my cousin's. And uh, we're very, uh, it's going to, you know, we, already to this point, we've done some remodeling up there and, you know, carpet choices and paint colors and things like that. You know, the, what seemed like they could be very small, could easily get magnified. And, and we've just kind of decided right from the get-go right here, with any other things like that, that relationships are going to be the priority. And if we need to bend a little bit in certain areas, if we need to kind of exert ourselves here and there, we can. But, but the relationships are always going to take the priority. That's something I learned. And hopefully that's carrying over in our own family. Today. Hopefully. And what, this all kind of happened when Katie was in kindergarten. And though she was never part of the conversation, she felt the conflict over what color the carpet was going to be. And so to her kindergarten teacher, she said, I don't want to go to our family cabin this year. I'm like, why? You know, what? And we dug deep and found out she realized that there was all this tension, and she did not want to be somewhere where this tension was. So at that point, we had to very quickly realize that that was not, you know, the way that we wanted to deal with that situation. Um, I was just going to, the other thing that I noticed um, through my family is that miracles happen. Um, if you would have looked at me at a nine-year-old girl and saw the distress and the destruction and everything that was going around, on around me, um, to know that one night changed our whole lives. And the night was a tap on my mom's shoulder in the middle of the night, in the middle of someone else's house, with us kids on the floor. And the Lord said, you didn't get out of your marriage for this, did you? And that next Sunday we were at church. My mom said, you know what? You're right. The Lord is the Lord. And we still had a broken family. It's not like, okay, my dad came back and we're all one happy family again. But suddenly our lives took on a brand new transformation. Our family was, you know, it's not all happy and joyous, but... So my, my gut knowledge is now that if your family's in distress, God can change that around in one moment of a decision. And God can change, and there's hope in all of those families. We have a few minutes left, Kyla, but Kyla was a, uh, she was a child development, she's preaching up here, huh? Amen. Um, uh, child development major in college, taught full-time sixth grade for three years before we had kids, has continued to substitute teach, and sure. yeah, now uh, full-time with our kids. And just, I just wanted Kyla, and has done just a lot of reading and research into um, parenting, especially, and I, I just want to pick your brain for a minute, Kyla. Maybe just share even just one, if you were just to give one core idea or concept about what an expression of Christ-like parenting might be from what you're learning. You're a credible voice. You're not an expert necessarily, but from what you're learning, um, what would you say that would be? Um, I think it would have to be, and 
I would love to sit and talk about this all the time. So if you want to come ask me. Um, but the one thing is the idea of parenting with grace and truth. Too often parents pick, I'll be the grace parent, you be the truth parent. And so kids flip-flop ping-pong between parents. But Jesus taught us in the Bible that he talked with grace and truth. He said the truth to people, but graciously. He never shamed them, he never belittled them, but he told them what he needed to tell them at the same time. Um, so whether a child makes a mistake, how do you realize to make that mistake an opportunity for learning? Or how do you redirect it and not go, I told you so, why do you do that? Da -da 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 -da, which the child suddenly shuts down, but I'm sorry that happened. What can we do so next time it won't happen? Um, so parenting, yeah, grace and truth. However, th there's lots. There's multitudes of ways that that rolls out. And one of the things that I learned uh, early on from my dad when we had kids especially, that one of the best things that I could do as a parent for my kids is to love my wife. And it's so counterintuitive. I, didn't, I, I don't think I would have ever thought of that necessarily because when we think about parenting, we always think what I'm doing for my child. And, and yet, he helped redirect that for me that maybe the best teaching or the best parenting I can do is in loving my wife. And he even drew this little diagram, you know, the circle, and in the middle he put two dots, and that's the husband and the wife. And he said the children, sorry kids, but the children are supposed to remain on the periphery of that circle, on the outer edges. And that's how God designed the family, for these two to be here and these children here but because of our sinful, selfish nature, perhaps, these kids are always trying to get in to that center place. And there's only room for two in there, so if a kid gets in there, then one of the spouses has to get kicked out to the side. And, uh, and this, as you can see, it may make the child feel good initially to be on the inside, but they know in their heart that that's not their proper place. And so it can cause all sorts of problems and issues. And so to, to be able to keep our kids on the periphery and to love my wife, and um, that's something I'm trying. I wish we had more time to talk about that. I think I'm learning, even this week, I got home from playing basketball early in the morning, about 7.30, and Kyla was, uh, she was already, had made lunches, had, was putting some laundry in the, whatever you call that thing. To machine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, there, there were some grocery bags that she often, after doing some grocery shopping on Mondays, will often leave right where I put my basketball shoes, and they were just getting in the way. And I, the first words out of my mouth were, can we find some place for these grocery bags? Amen? Anybody want to say amen? And I quickly realized that I had missed the mark and uh, was not loving my wife as Christ loved the church and spent all that day trying to make it up and figure it out. So I think I say that for two reasons, to tell you that we're not perfect, and she, she almost is, but she's got some things too. We're not perfect, we're working it out, and yet there's something to be said here in, in learning and growing and, and loving and learning together in the midst of, of family as we let Jesus be the Lord of all. Anything you would say just quickly, Kyla, about one way in our marriage that you're pouring into or too quick. Helping us I'll say one quick thing. Um, 
one of the ways is I was not raised in a sports family, so I, could, I, I really could care less 18 years ago. I was a cheerleader, and that was fun, but, you know, that was fun. It wasn't sports. But 18 years ago, I had some other friends who got married and go, oh, my goodness, my husband talks about sports. He watches sports, da 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 da, da. And you know what? I decided to do something different. James, what's a pop fly? <laughs> Explain this to me. And so suddenly I decided I was going to take an interest in what was important to him. So Sports Center comes on at night, and I sit down, and I try, and I ask the silliest questions, I'm sure, but that's a choice that I've made rather than to go be bitter in the bedroom, to sit down and go, okay, how can I do that? The other thing is just like I walk into the um, school office and say, how can I help today? What can I do? That's just, I look for ways just to help him throughout the day. What, what can I do today? Maybe I can ask him, but maybe I can just do something that I think will help. So. Thank you. Oh, these two things we have around our house. Read them to, to us. This one is encouraging top ten. This works with parents and other family members. So even if you're an adult child. Yeah, in our kitchen. Yes. So number one, I'm so proud of you. Number two, thank you for. Number three, you're terrific. Number four, I'm happy that you're my kid or my wife or my mom or whatever. Number five, I'm glad we spent the day together. Number six, you are important to me. Number seven, thanks for just being you. Number eight, I love you so much. Number nine, I really like it when you. And number 10, I like to be around you. So ways just to say what you mean. Um, the other one is how we work together. If it's broken, fix it. If it's empty, fill it. If it's open, shut it. If it's out, put it away. If it's messy, clean it up. If you can't, then report it. That's taking responsibility. Awesome. Thanks, honey. Come on. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Let's all stand, can we? Let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you um, for your lordship, Jesus, over all that is. Thank you that you don't just care about our, our souls. Um, you don't just care about kind of the spiritual issues, the so-called spiritual issues of our lives, but you care about everything. And not only do you care about it, but you make a claim on it. You've made a claim on our families, Lord Jesus. If we're, if we're calling ourselves followers of you today, then you've made a claim on our, on our families. If we're not, if we're just kind of in this journey or in this process of discovering about you, then perhaps we're not under that claim yet. But if we're followers of Jesus, if we're, if we're proclaiming that, then you've got a claim on us. You're the Lord. And so may we continue to look for very practical, powerful ways in which we can live out that lordship. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, children and parents, uh, single folks with their children or with other members of the family. Jesus, may we make you the center, and may we let everything flow from that place. Uh, go with us today in Jesus' name.